0: getting i'm cam smith and i'm tony g and we're here kicking off the new year 2020 with a movie an arnold schwarzenegger movie no less all about the new year yeah
1: i think this is probably arnold schwarzenegger's only new year's movie isn't it
0: i think so i can't think of one can you uh i think it might be his only horror movie as well if you can call this a horror movie was there a big new year's party in aftermath
1: Uh, There wasn't any kind of party in Aftermath, which we've yet to get to, by the way. We've got to stop referencing Aftermath, lest our listeners have not seen it or listened to
0: us. That's right, but we can now check off End of Days, because we have watched it, and I'm excited to dig into this one, because it's one that's popped up, I think, quite a bit in conversations over the course of the podcast, but it's always kind of that, like, we'll talk about it later, we'll talk about it later. We never really have discussed our thoughts on it, even though... I mean, it really did, for both of us, land when we were about 18 years old, which is prime Arnold Schwarzenegger time, because we could actually see it in a theater, if we went, that is. Well, I did go see it in the theater. So did I. Okay, I didn't want to assume for you. (laughs) Yeah, you know (laughs) what they say about assume. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so this was like, right in that smack dab perfect period. Tony, you know, you've said you went to see it in theaters, but... You know, what were your thoughts, and were you, like, really excited for it at the time?
1: Of course I was. I mean, this... But this was tail end Arnold, right? Yeah. Like, this was coming up to the end of the 90s. He'd released a couple maybe lesser movies from his prime heyday. Um, right. Yeah, this is
0: just after, like, um, uh, Jingle All the Way and, and Batman it, and Robin. The sixth day. That was, like, the next year. That's right. So, yeah. it's
1: right in that period uh,
0: where you
1: get kind of the post... I don't know. What do we... What's the post-period here? The post-eraser period? I always
0: call it the uh, uh, post-true lies, because that's kind of like the heights, and then it's sort of a coast downwards from there. I like eraser, as we talked about in the podcast, but it's sort of that coast downwards into kind of like (laughs) falling star syndrome.
1: You could probably map a pretty nice trajectory from Total Recall to the sixth day, you know... Maybe some ups and downs, like looking at a
0: Dow Jones stock ticker or something like that. But Not a lot of ups, but there are downs, <laughs> that's for sure. So, yeah, what were your thoughts when you saw it in theaters back in 1999? I liked it. I thought it was something different. I knew at the time, and I think what has been
1: acknowledged since then, that Arnold's movies were kind of declining in quality. I think mm-hmm. he rounded up this era with, what, probably collateral damage. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I hope this one's good. But I went in, I really liked it, and I've uh, I've liked it since then. I mean, I haven't seen it in a few years, but I've seen this movie probably four or five times. And mm. it's it's held up for me, and it's one that people hate. People hate this movie. Right. But for whatever reason, I, I never did. And at the time, I really liked it. Okay, How yeah. How about you?
0: So, I definitely went out to see it in theaters, but I do feel like at the time, I was feeling, what's the term? I, not Arnold Schwarzenegger fatigue, But more of just, like, an awareness that his best days were behind him. Ennui. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I could tell at the time that we were kind of coasting into movies that didn't seem to have the level of, you know, pomp and circumstance surrounding their release as in the past. Like, True Lies. Or even, like, um, even Eraser to a certain degree, which I remember got a lot of coverage in, like, Entertainment Weekly's big summer movie issue. Stuff like that. Yep. But I remember this one coming out a little bit quietly. Um, The soundtrack at the time was a big draw for me. I actually went and bought the soundtrack, I think, before it was released because it had new (laughs) songs from Korn and Limp Biscuit. And uh, I think there was Guns and Roses on there. I think you might be giving a little bit too much away about your
1: teenage musical taste. Oh, yeah. Yeah. teenage? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Rob Zombie was on there. And so like this was that era where they would put out these soundtrack albums where they would barely use the songs in the movie. But then they would just put out great albums. Like the Spawn one was awesome. There was a bunch of them.
1: That That is definitely the case here. There's a lot of those songs in here. But there's several scenes where there's like five seconds of the song. And... You actually have to squint yeah.
0: to to uh, to hear them. Yeah, it's really weird. They're so low in the audio mix. It's very weird. But uh, yeah, so like I think I'd gone out to get the CD first and I did not go and see this opening weekend, but I do remember going with my friend Mark who was on our Predator episode and I was still excited because I remember reading CineScape magazine at the time and they had really pumped it up as like Arnold versus the devil. Which in my mind, in my 18-year-old brain, was the greatest thing ever. I was like, how could this not be the greatest movie ever? They finally got my letters. Exactly. And I saw the movie and I just wasn't really a fan. I didn't hate it, but it was so downbeat and just kind of like joyless. that when it was over, I was like, oh, well, okay. (laughs) And I never watched it ever again until tonight really so it's been a 20 year gap for you it's been 20 years because we uh,
1: we're recording this what on january 7th yeah and we've just uh we've just celebrated new year's 2020 the end of a decade yeah and this was the end of a millennium that's right
0: we were out with the cultists partying (laughs) it up
1: and we were talking about this before we watched this movie uh for those of you who weren't around or who can't remember uh Y2K was a big deal.
0: Yeah, a huge deal. I don't think people... Like, if you talk to a kid who's, like, 18 now, they would be able to wrap their head around the pandemonium surrounding uh, New Year's 1999.
1: And there was genuine, bona fide panic. Yeah. uh, Not only from, like, technological concerns. People were worried there was going to be a total uh, global technological shutdown uh, from all these programs that... Hadn't factored in, we might need four digits eventually <laughs> yeah. for our dates. Yeah, but there was also a great deal of religious pandemonium too. And there's uh, been a few years and, like that. but yeah, then, and, this and, one in primary superstitious you know, primar- pandemonium. Yeah, right, where we're saying, oh, this is this is somehow a year, not just of kind of fun significance, but of actual significance in the grand cosmic scheme of things.
0: Now, do you remember your New Year's
1: 1999? I do actually. I remember it being a lot of fun. I went up to Whistler, which is a local ski resort around Vancouver, where we record this. A lot of the
0: Olympics were done up there, weren't they? Yeah, that's
1: yeah. right. And uh, went up there with some friends, and we had a we had a blast. I think I was nineteen at the time.
0: Yeah, um, I don't remember my New Year's very well, uh, and I don't that, dr- and I don't drink, so I have no excuse. I was going to say that's often a good sign. Yeah, I no, but I just remember like waiting until that countdown and just everyone was kind of like not sure what was going to happen when it hit midnight yeah you thought maybe like the lights were going to go out or fires were just going to
1: start at random yep or you know the ghosts of the damned were going to rise from their graves and start attacking the living
0: and i seem to recall we had the tv on with the countdown probably dick clark i guess at the time i don't know like it could have been never let him say you don't know how to party camp (laughs) but i remember that being on and we were even thinking the tv would just like cut to static or a test pattern basically once they hit midnight or the faces of your ancestors (laughs) 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 but yeah none of that happened and it was like oh well you know what a memory's coming back I seem to recall we were sitting in a basement leading up to it playing Clay Fighter for Super Nintendo or something. Wow, man, that's uh, that's so weird. I don't know if that's accurate, but that memory just came back to me. So that sounds like a. I'm sorry, I went to Whistler. I should have joined you. It can't have been right though, because the Nintendo 64 was out at that point. So hey, you never there's know. no way we were hauling out the old Super NES to play Clay Fighter on New Year's Eve. <laughs> That must have been a different New Year's. I have a history of very sad New Year's Eves, is what I'm saying, people. And
1: very poor memories. Yeah, that too.
0: (laughs) So, this movie came out, yes, 1999 in the fall. It had a budget of $100 million. Which is hard to believe when you watch this movie, actually. Yeah, it is. And I don't know why they invested that much. I mean, I guess at this point Arnold was still bankable in their eyes because Batman and Robin... While you know not as big a grosser as Batman Forever by any stretch, it was still profitable. But this movie wasn't a failure. Well, sort of. Yeah, domestic it made sixty-seven million, mm-hmm. and then foreign it made one hundred and forty-five for a total of two twelve. So yeah, um, it, it, it's so weird though. In these days, the movie was considered a dud, despite the fact that you know two twelve is nowadays they would go oh, that's okay. Although, you know what, for a $100 million budget, I don't know if that is that great. No also, one lost their jobs, though.
1: It's pretty respectable. No one lost their shirts. No one lost their jobs. Yeah. Everyone went home with some money in their pockets.
0: But I'll bet you this really was a turning point for budgets on Arnold movies. You know, I, we didn't, We've already done the movies that per, came after this one, but I would be willing to bet they probably didn't have $100 million budgets post this movie. I don't know. I mean, Terminator 3 certainly did. Okay, that one did. Yeah, okay. That one excluded, but more like the uh, six-day collateral damage, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, well, there was only three movies after this one before he went into politics, right? There was six-day yeah. collateral damage, Terminator 3, and then we didn't really see him again until The Expendables.
0: That's right, yeah. And so, yeah, End of Days was number 36 <laughs> for the year, right between She's All That and uh, Three Kings, the David O. Russell movie. Um, I never saw *She's All That*. It's like the most '90s movie ever, I think.
1: Uh, I I think I might have seen it, but it's one of those movies that is definitely. If you're making a list of like the top
0: ten forgettable movies of all time, you think that one's forgettable? That people really remember that one is like one of the uh, the high points for those kind of '90s teen movies. Uh, well, I didn't remember it until you mentioned it just now. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw it, so I really don't have any affection. But that year was a pretty big year, really, when you look at the top ten. Number one, you had Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. And similarly, for those of you who weren't around or who maybe were not old enough to uh, remember
1: that that was a serious major motion picture event. That was the first Star Wars released after Return of the Jedi. People were lined up for
0: blocks. Was that the biggest motion picture experience of our lives? Possibly. Um, you and I were both alive for the 1989 Batman, which was a big deal. But I didn't see it in theaters. I was too young. So I kind of missed that one.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to think. Maybe that Star Wars one. Maybe
0: I know Lord of the Rings was a big deal for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but in terms of pure hype and anticipation, I don't know that anything has hit what Star Wars Episode One did at the time. Since, yeah, it's, you know, maybe. Uh, maybe the new Star Wars, Force Awakens or something. I don't know, maybe uh, Avengers Endgame
1: might have come close. I know that people were pretty amped for that release, but yeah. uh, put it this way it's got to be one of the top 10 most hyped releases that I can remember.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, number two was The Sixth Sense, which was a real surprise hit, and the, the launch of M. Night Shyamalan. Who
1: also suffered a little bit of a decline after that.
0: (laughs) Number three was Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. You're making me feel old here, Ken. I know. (laughs) 20 years ago. I think of Austin
1: Powers as like a hip new movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, baby. (laughs) Number four was Toy Story 2. Number five, The Matrix. Wow. Yeah. And I remember seeing The Matrix in theaters and being blown away. God, what a time. Uh, Number six was Disney's Tarzan, which I think was kind of the last great movie in the Disney Renaissance. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it great. I really love that movie. Number seven was Adam Sandler's Big Daddy. (laughs) Okay. I was going to say, so I was like, do we have an entire top ten of movies that are memorable and that are going to stand the (laughs) test of time? And it turns out we don't. (laughs) Number eight was uh, The Mummy, the Brendan Fraser film. Which I love. Do you? I'm not a big fan of The Mummy. I would like to revisit it, though. Uh, Number 9 was Runaway Bride. (laughs) (laughs) Number 10 was The Blair Witch Project.
1: Oh, man. 1999 was huge, wasn't it?
0: There's been actually a lot written, uh, well, this past year in 2019 about how 1999 was perhaps like the last great movie year. Because it really was like a murderer's row. A lot of the movies weren't even in the top, you know, 10. They were things like Fight Club came out that year. Yeah, not There's just a lot. not just
1: big movies, but genuinely groundbreaking movies. Yeah, you know, I mean, they release a new Marvel movie these days, and it makes a uh, billion dollars, but it's not really doing anything new for the most part. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're they're entertaining and they're good, and they bring people to the theaters. But you know, I I think about like the Blair Witch Project, which I'm not a huge fan of, but
0: very it, influential though.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And uh, so, some other notables this year. At number 12, you had The World Is Not Enough, uh, the third Pierce Brosnan Bond movie. One that I've warmed to a little more in recent years. Yeah, me too, actually. It's not great, but it's, it's decent. Uh, number 14, Wild Wild West. Do you remember that? Oh, it's so bad. It's terrible. But that was like the first moment where it was something like, oh, Will Smith can be stopped. Yeah, no. by Kevin Kline. <laughs> <laughs> number 26 was Deep Blue Sea. One of my favorites of that era.
1: <laughs> do people like that movie? Because I, I yes, love it. Yes, I do. It's got a lot it.
0: of real resurgence, in more in camp popularity. It's got the best theme song of any movie that I can think of. That's right. LL Cool J. Uh, number 65, a movie I think you have some fondness for, The 13th Warrior. Yeah, that was a Michael Crichton, Antonio Banderas. People
1: hate that movie. Yeah. Um, It was actually filmed here in Vancouver. I think uh, it was, and
0: also reshot here in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, that, about
1: five times. But, it, uh... <laughs> But, I mean, as far
0: as uh, barbarian Viking movies go, it, it's hard to argue with it. Sure. Uh, number 111 was The Corrupter with Chow Yun-Fat. That was sort of his attempt at a crossover. He did The Replacement Killers and then this one. This one co-starred Mark Wahlberg and it was awful. Yeah, it wasn't very good. Uh, number 119, Arnold's co-star from True Lies put out a movie this year, Virus. Starring Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I ever saw it. I didn't either. Uh, number 124, Jet Li's Black Mask. I did see that, not in theaters, but on video.
1: Was that a re release or was that It a... was, yeah, it yeah. was a
0: dubbed re release of one of his uh, movies from back home.
1: I remember renting that on, I think, VHS and just fast forwarding through all the dialogue and watching the action
0: scenes. It was pretty bad, but it had some good fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at number 136, the last one, and I think maybe. Are you sure that's the last one? I am sure that's the last one, but I think it might be the most notable. Universal Soldier, The Return, starring Van Damme. (laughs) I know I've seen one of the Universal Soldier sequels. I don't know if it was that one. I saw this one in theaters, and it has Bill Goldberg in it. I remember that. Okay, I did see it. Yeah, it wasn't very good, I don't think. (laughs) It definitely wasn't (laughs) as good as the first one. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, that was End of Days. And the movie was directed by Peter Hyams, who did movies like Time Cop, uh, 2010, uh, The Relic, sudden death outland and a movie that tony you and i went and saw together and have mentioned on this very podcast which is the musketeer
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so peter hyams i mean he's got uh, a pretty good book of business in his uh portfolio there right like yeah he's got some movies that maybe aren't as good i don't really like the musketeer uh the relic is so
0: so yeah uh i like sudden death i like time cop and i like 2010
1: Yeah, for sure. I'd describe Peter Hyams as probably an A-level director, or at least a B plus.
0: I would say like a B-plus studio guy. Like, he was a reliable studio guy they could always go to. Yeah, fair enough. Um, But uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of question marks about who was offered this movie first. Because Sam Raimi is listed. If you look online, it's going to say Sam Raimi everywhere. It seems like that's a real possibility. He would have been coming off of a, A Simple Plan... Uh, Yeah, and I saw uh, Guillermo del Toro thrown
1: around there too, but I couldn't find anything at all to back that up.
0: Yeah, so del Toro, that would be post-Mimic, right after he made that movie. That's right. But what I find weird is, if you look online, he was attached for a long time to direct a movie called Saturn and the End of Days. So I'm partially wondering if there's been some mix-ups in what is being reported because the Wikipedia page... Is this an end-of-days deepfake? Well, okay, there's more deepfakes to come. Sam Raimi, I believe, is possible. But did you know in 2012, Sam Raimi purchased the book series Penryn and the End of Days? No, I didn't know that. So, I, I'm surprised that you know that. I just researched that one before we sat down. So I have real question marks about the ver- the like veracity of this... Various directors being reported to be attached to this, like movie. some
1: some Wikipedia editor somewhere was just like Sam Raimi. Like they googled Impossible. "End of
0: Days" director, and these things popped up. Right, right. So never I, trust the internet, folks. That's right. The Sam Raimi seems the most believable to me, but i've never seen any official source say that these two people were attached to this movie but we have
1: the same problem not just with the directors but with the actors who were attached to this
0: as well right
1: uh, i mean we watched uh the i guess what do you call it, the featurette or the making of
0: it's kind of a featurette, kind of a cheap featurette that was and attached the, on the dvd
1: and the writer of this movie andrew marlowe yeah. was adamant in that featurette. i wrote this specifically for arnold schwarzenegger uh, we were able to get him because had uh, the relationship he had with James Cameron. Yeah. But again, you go online and people are just bandying around all kinds of names.
0: Yeah, well, they say that this movie was written for Tom Cruise. And it's like, okay, I can't find anything official about that online. Like, who comes up with this? So, yeah, like, because the rumor is that Tom Cruise left to do Magnolia instead. It's like, I, I guess... But there's no, tr- no, like, known truth behind this. I don't know. It's lost to the sands of time as far as Hollywood goes.
1: And then Robin Tunney is allegedly a stand-in for Kate Winslet in this case. And
0: also Liv Tyler. Yeah. Which, there's, okay, let's look at this one logically. Liv Tyler, the year before, puts out Armageddon, which is her biggest hit to date. Is she coming off Armageddon to do this movie? I mean, maybe it's a big-budget movie, but it seems like kind of a downgrade in roles. I don't know. That one seems like know. a question mark to me. Who knows, but man? Kate Winslet, this would have been shortly after Titanic, the phenomenon. And you're telling me she's going to play, like, the Damsel in Distress in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? I really doubt that, because she was doing a lot of independent films at this time. Kate Winslet <laughs> has pretty amazing taste in projects.
1: Yeah, and no amount of James Cameron's thumb on the scale. They didn't like working together, either.
0: No, uh, Not really, although she's working on Avatar, too, so That's right. they've made up, but... Yeah, so those actress uh, rumors, I don't know. But then another director was allegedly in the mix too, which was Marcus Nispel, who um, was a music video director. And he apparently left over budget and script problems. That one seems possible. Because he went on to do um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, the Friday the 13th remake. And Tony, he did two other movies that you and I also have a certain connection over. Number one of those two is Pathfinder, the Carl <laughs> Urban action movie. What a piece of junk. <laughs> and number two is the Conan the Barbarian remake. Which
1: we've yet to do. We're going to do that one of these days.
0: That's right. So maybe Marcus Nispel was attached. Who knows? But ultimately, Peter Hyams does the movie, and he was convinced to do it by James Cameron.
1: Yeah, and the funny thing is, if you look at what Arnold Schwarzenegger has had to say since about Peter Hyams' direction of this movie, it's not very complimentary. Oh, really? Yeah, it's quite negative. He says Peter Hyams, he just didn't have the vision to pull this project off. uh, That it didn't come out as well as it maybe could have. And he he puts a lot of it on the shoulders of Peter Hyams. At least what I've read. But, of course, based on what I've read about this movie, uh, there's a big question mark next to that as well.
0: Sure. I think one other notable fact about this movie was that this was Arnold's first post-heart surgery role. And so Arnold said in his book, Total Recall that there was a lot of, like, financiers and studio people very nervous coming down to the the set to watch him do action scenes because they weren't sure he would be up to it. And, uh, you know, he showed them wrong. Arnold Schwarzenegger actually has very few interesting things to say about his movies in his book. It's very bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) But, Tony, this movie was nominated for some awards. (laughs) Yeah, not very good ones. It was nominated for some blockbuster entertainment awards. It was nominated for Favorite Actor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Favorite Supporting Actor, Kevin Pollock. But now that Blockbuster no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had the Razzies. Um, the Razzies nominated Arnold for Worst Actor, and they nominated uh, Gabriel Byrne um, for Worst Supporting Actor, and he shared that nomination with the movie Stigmata, which he was also in. Yeah, it was a big devilish year for Gabriel Byrne. Not just a devilish year... The late 90s. I was actually writing a list during the course of watching this movie. You had The Devil's Advocate. You had Spawn. You had The Prophecy. There was a lot of, like, devil movies in the mid to late 90s. Yeah,
1: there was, I guess, now that you mention yeah, it. Yeah,
0: kind of weird. But uh, it was also nominated for Worst uh, was Director. It Constantine was a... Uh... No, that's 2000s. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Worst Director for Peter Hyams from the Razzies. And then the Stinkers Awards nominated Arnold for Worst Actor.
1: Which... Having watched this movie now, I mean, whatever you think about this movie, whether you love it or hate it or you're somewhere in the middle, I think that's a little harsh, saying that uh, Gabriel Byrne and Arnold Schwarzenegger could be the worst
0: actors out of any movie out there. Well, they didn't win. (laughs) Who won those years? (laughs) I have no idea. I didn't actually look that up. But uh, I'm sure Wild Wild West probably won a lot of them.
1: That's a good bet.
0: Yeah. You know, that's probably fair, right? Like I'm sure Will Smith probably won. Worst actor, Kevin Klein probably one supporting, <laughs> Barry Sonnenfeld probably one director. Yeah, I feel like that probably swept them that year. That movie was notorious at the time. It was the now- dances with wolves of bad movies. Do people remember Wild Wild West anymore? Like is it one that pops up? I feel like Batman and Robin does, but I don't think Wild Wild West does. Well, it it has a kind of a perennial uh cycle on cable television. Sure. I feel like there's nothing fun about that movie for people to make fun of anymore. Like, Batman and Robin, there's lots. There's lots of quotable lines and everything. But, like, what do you really bring up about Wild Wild West that people would make fun of? Other than that Kevin Smith story about, uh, you know, the spider and everything. I don't know. Probably the less said the better about Wild Wild West. Okay, well, let's move on from Wild Wild West and get back to End of Days. Now, Tony, we just finished watching this movie. For some of us, it's been 20 years. What were your thoughts on this movie, revisiting it now? I loved it ok, I think it's one of the most
1: fun I've had watching an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie on this podcast. Uh, more I w- than,
0: more than see Arnold Run,
1: <laughs> a lot more than see Arnold Run. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for this movie, and I know people hate this movie. Um, and in a lot of ways, it is kind of a crappy movie, yeah, but I just I just love seeing Arnold. it's it's such a weird movie. Yeah, uh, it is. And I actually think this the performances, of Schwarzenegger and Gabriel Byrne are fantastic I think that the direction of Peter Hyams is just totally nuts and off the wall and it's one of those movies it's really hard to even classify as like what the hell is this it's is it an action movie is it a horror movie it's like a gothic detective story
0: yeah it's uh, sort of, yeah it's all of the above yeah
1: yeah and I was not bored for a single second watching this movie I was uh I knew where it was going, it was pretty obvious the whole way along, sure. but uh, I had a lot of fun watching this. Uh, you probably didn't, based on the number of eye rolls I saw coming out of your side of the. I didn't really
0: eye roll during the course of this. <laughs> I was quite well, focused what, what, what on did, it. What did you think? I don't like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because like, the thing about End of Days is I like the ideas of it. Like, I like that it's this <laughs> sort of satanic Arnold movie. It has a lot of Convoluted, bizarre mythology to it. I like that you know Arnold gets to play. This is one of his real first tortured characters, wasn't it? It's got to be earlier in the unless you count
1: Mister Freeze.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that was the audience that was tortured. (laughs) Yeah, right. But um, you know, I, I like seeing Arnold do that sort of thing. I Gabriel Byrne is great in this movie, and I want to talk more about him later. But like, there's elements I like. But, man, this movie is just so dour and grim (laughs) that when it's over, I'm like, I just don't have any fun with this movie. Like, there's stuff about it that's goofy, but, oh, man, it's just this weird mix of, like, yellow-brown color palettes. uh, A lot of, like, night shooting where everything's black with, like, just the occasional light, like, lighting up a face. I don't know. And then, like, a lot of what you would call, I guess, 1990s video music editing I don't know, like to me it's just, I guess the word is like joyless. And I just find that weird because I love movies like The Exorcist for example, or Rosemary's Baby, which are supernatural thrillers themed on the same sort of thing. And I feel like this one could have been maybe a little more in those directions if it had been directed better. I don't know what the screenplay's like, but the direction is pretty hacky, like it feels hacky to me. It's it's not the worst thing we've watched. When we do our ranking Arnold movies, this one's not going to be at the bottom for me. I don't know. It's more interesting than, say, like a collateral damage. I don't dislike it for being, you know, like just like junk or whatever. I find it more frustrating and just kind of a slog. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: well, I think about other movies, like the way you're describing this movie is a lot like the way you described Sabotage, which nobody saw. This is
0: better than Sabotage.
1: Right, well... Sabotage had a, a similar thing. If if anything, it might have been a little bit better directed. Yeah. By uh, David Ayer, um, but that was a movie that I don't like at all. Right. Like, it's it's not fun. There's just like weird lingering shots on mutilated corpses for, yes. for for no reason, which there also is here. Sure. But it's kind of in service of uh, a horror motif. Right. And. I think the movie actually looks really good. It is dark, and I Mm -hmm. knew you were going to comment on how dark and muddled and yellow the movie is, but... It is kind of ugly
0: looking. I think it's supposed to be ugly looking. But don't you think, like, when I watch this movie, I think a better director... And, you know, you were saying that Arnold may have said some negative things about Peter Hyams directing. But, like, I think if you had a really visually strong director, like a Del Toro or a Sam Raimi, who may or may not have passed on this movie. <laughs> like, you would have had something that was very visually distinctive, which would have helped the overall tone of the movie. Like, I looked at that whole scene at the end where you're seeing this, like, church, you know, exploding all over the place, and I think of how Sam Raimi would have directed that versus how Peter Hyams did it. I loved it. I thought it looked great. Really? What about the really, like cheesy jump cuts and all that sort of thing like the some of the
1: editing I, w- I will admit there is some of the editing um, particularly in some of the action sequences where um, it is jumping back and forth and a lot of the shaky cam stuff where I was just like why are they shaking the camera here yeah. nothing is shaking right um, some of that stuff got it was a little bit irritating but by and large, I thought that they were going for like a gothic look and they hit the nail on the head.
0: I agree in terms of tone, like they definitely go full gothic. Like it has that sort of feel to it. I just think visually it's a little flat. Really? And I... Peter Himes was the director of photography too. I wonder if he should have maybe farmed that job out to someone else. Well, it's hard to say. I know that
1: uh, David Ticketon was assistant director on this. I just want to throw that out there. David Ticketon has worked with Schwarzenegger on a lot of stuff. He worked with him on The Last Stand, on Collateral Damage. All the hits. Uh, Eraser, Junior, okay. True Lies, and Last Action Hero. But I thought the most interesting thing about David Ticketon, and I don't know how much he was involved
0: in the actual direction here. He would have probably done a lot of the action stuff.
1: Yeah, he is he's the brother of Rachel Ticketon, who was the co-star in Total Recall
0: that's a pretty mind-blowing connection
1: thanks that's that's my like arnie Giddon trivia fact for the day and yeah. I, was, I was hoping to surprise you because you know like the the six degrees of
0: rachel ticket of course <laughs> i feel like you might be the only person to mention that on any sort of uh, you know review or podcast on this movie there we go put that on my tombstone that's right <laughs> <laughs> that end. yes i liked end of days so okay so well
1: well, maybe we should get into it yeah before we do uh we'll give our standard you know uh spoiler alert we're gonna give a spoiler alert um so if you haven't seen this movie it's definitely one of the schwarzenegger movies i think that's really worth watching it's maybe an essential schwarzenegger watch
0: i would say that like even though i don't really like it i would say people should see it because it is outside the norm for schwarzenegger and it's probably the most interesting high concept movie he did. It's sort of the end of his big popular run.
1: Yeah, no, I know. I totally agree with that. So, like,
0: Terminator 3 is, is fun, but it's a little bit of more of the same versus kind of a last kind of interesting diversion during his superstardom period.
1: Yeah. So, if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it in a while um, and you're listening to us, you know, put us on pause, go out, uh, give it a watch, and, and come back to us. We'll be waiting.
0: Yes, we will. Because we
1: will spoil the movie.
0: Yes, and I let's get to that. Now, Tony, before we start spoiling it, though, what's this movie about? Well, this movie is about a uh,
1: security expert, <laughs> Jericho Crane, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's having a bit of a depressive spell after the loss of his wife and child. Yeah. And he finds himself protecting uh, a young woman named Christine, a little bit on the nose there, played by Robin Tunney who is prophesied to give birth to the Antichrist. And he needs to protect her from the various forces that are after her and also, you know, prevent the quote-unquote end of days.
0: Right. Yes, and this movie does have an interesting, like, cast. There's a lot of fun supporting actors in this movie. Uh, On top of, like, Gabriel Byrne as the devil, like, Kevin Pollock as his partner. Not the devil's partner, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's partner. C- well, event- eventually, as the yeah, devil's that's true. That's true. CCH Pounder as a detective, also eventually the devil's partner. Yeah, also, um, Derek O'Connor, who was the um, the like uh, tall henchman in *Lethal Weapon* two. Oh, really? Yeah, was the priest in this Thomas Aquinas? You also have Miriam Margolis as Christine's like stepmom and Udo Fos- Kier foster mom, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, and then Udo Kier as her, I don't know, priest counselor, I guess. I don't know, help, but, helper of some sort.
1: Yeah, the, the, you know, the guy, as Udo Kier is want to do, comes on screen and is, you know, presented as a good guy, but you immediately know he's not. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. You, you've
0: also got Hector... Uh, you... <laughs> yeah. Hector Salamanca? Yeah, you've also got Hector Sal- Salamanca. Uh, Mark Margolis, the actor who played him on Breaking Bad, shows up as the Pope. And also Rod Steiger as a priest here. I mean, this is a pretty packed cast.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I mean, Schwarzenegger is surrounded by really A-list actors in this movie. In
0: this (laughs) very, like, even just, like, looking at it, it's kind of, like, very B-movie material. But they got an A-list supporting cast in this thing. Yeah, and maybe that's
1: one of the reasons why I like this movie so much. Like, you take a look at Rod Steiger's character. He plays, like, this priest who wants to help uh, Christine sort of sort of
0: I don't really know what he's doing
1: (laughs) but if you were to take his lines and just put them on a page and give them to some uh, hack off the street it would be a pretty boring character but because it's Rod Steiger he just makes that character awesome
0: yeah and the Udo Kier character who's you know very much in bed with the devil I mean this guy could have been a total generic like performance and it's Udo Kier so it's really weird He shows up a couple scenes, and he does very like odd things, and you're like, "This is perfect. This seems like footage of Udo Kier just on a weekend, not (laughs) even in a movie. That's what Udo Kier does for fun." I totally believe that he's like doing, you know, rituals where he cuts open snakes and pours the blood on babies. Like that seems like a normal weekend for Udo Kier.
1: Yeah, no kidding. The little baptism of rattlesnake blood. Yeah, sure. That's the norm. Hey, Udo, come on over.
0: (laughs) I feel like he would be very intimidating to meet.
1: And the the effects on this, it wasn't just the actors. The effects were um, done by Stan Winston.
0: Yeah, although not as much practical as I think I would have liked. Like, there's some pretty wonky CG in this movie.
1: Yeah, I do go to wonder how much of these effects were actually hands-on Stan Winston yeah. and Stan Winston Studios.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there's like a beast at the end that was probably a Stan Winston physical creation, but it's been augmented with CG, And when I say augmented with CG, I should say augmented with 1999 CG.
1: De-augmented.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, you kind of have to suspend disbelief on some of the CG fire as well. This is pre-Lord of the Rings CG fire, and a lot of it looks pretty
0: bad. But it's still better than Firestorm fire, am I right? I don't, don't knock Firestorm. That was Howie Long's greatest motion picture. Action went long. (laughs) But, yeah, like, you know, in terms of effects, though, it is largely forgivable. Like, it's a little wonky, but you know what? This is two years after Spawn, and that one had, like, way worse instances of CG. Yeah, I know, absolutely. And you know, a few years after Mortal Kombat, which was also <laughs> horrible. A little wonky in the old CG department. I love that movie. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I will go to bat for Mortal Kombat any any day of the week, but uh, I'll rewatch
1: it one of these days because I yeah. hate Mortal Kombat. Really? And you're always defending it.
0: So I'll I'll give it a chance. It's very much a product of the 90s. But um, you know, so what did you like like for the hook for this movie? Like did it really grab you right off the bat this whole Like silly prophecy and the baby disappearing in the birthing room. I thought it was awesome. The opening of this movie is
1: uh, Vatican 1979. which Every location and date in this movie is just emblazoned on the bottom of the
0: screen. Just in case you couldn't figure it out. It burned itself into my TV forever. Now, I'm going to watch any movie and that will be on the bottom at this point. There's so many (laughs) graphics in this movie.
1: That's right. And it has a priest or a cardinal... Or, you know, some religious figure looking out the window and seeing a shooting star over top of the moon. Right. And he panics and he goes into uh, what I can only describe as a prophecy briefcase, (laughs) which is full of like kind of scrolls and bad silverware. Right. And he opens up one of these cylinders and rolls it out. And lo and behold is um, an 8th century monk's drawing of, that same shooting star over top of the moon yes. as it looks out of the, out, out that window. Yes. Uh and he decides uh to go inform the pope Hector Salamanca yeah. that uh yes indeed the child will be born today. And then you cut to a childbirth scene and Udo Kier cutting open a rattlesnake and dumping the blood onto a baby. Like like what a, what a great opening. I was
0: hooked. <laughs> it's very pulpy. Like, I cannot say anything bad about the, the setup because it's really pulpy stuff. I liked it too. Uh, this movie should have also been called, like, Bad Things Happen in Basements. Because <laughs> there's a lot of scenes where characters, like, go into a basement and they're doing, like, these forbidden rituals that are really disturbing. <laughs> I had to wonder, though, the room they take that baby to in the hospital, what is that room used for most of the time? um weighing vegetables there seem to be like a lot of scales hanging out
1: <laughs> of the ceiling and stuff like that yeah i i also like in the opening like right off the bat the star they establish and it's kind of a a tired old trope in a lot of these types of movies like the dark vatican right yeah um that there's conflict in the vatican and different people have different ideas about you yeah. know, do we need to do evil to prevent evil?
0: Yeah, it's always very gloomy looking. It looks like the most depressing place in the world to be. Versus, like, you watched like, the movie that's just on Netflix recently, The Two Popes, and it's very, like, bright daylight in there. <laughs> Everyone seems pretty happy. Everyone's eating pizza. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they actually are. I
1: know. Yeah. Oh, you watched it? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh. I just heard Anthony Hopkins eats pizza
0: as the Pope. <laughs> he does. It's a good movie. Um, but... Uh, Yeah, like, I like the setup for this. The, you know, setup of the Arnold character is interesting, too, of this tortured dude who's, you know, sitting on the couch with a gun to his head when we first meet him. Very lethal weapon.
1: And is going to blow his brains out, but for the knock on the door by Kevin Pollack. And I just love the look on Schwarzenegger's face when his suicide is interrupted. Yeah. Uh, He just looks, like, kind of annoyed and disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. you know, and then he kind of picks himself up and goes ahead and makes probably the most disgusting smoothie in motion picture history, like a pizza crust, some alcohol, uh, some Chinese
0: food. <laughs> and you you should mention also the pizza crust was from the floor. Yes. Like he fished that off the floor. Yeah, it's pretty nasty and very much, I think, effectively establishes that this character is not that happy.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then they also, the way they introduce Satan as Gabriel Byrne, mm. who's... um. You know, he's this character that, um, well, Schwarzenegger's assigned to protect as part of the security detail, but before that, they have him sitting in a restaurant eating dinner. Yep. And then uh, there's a, a gas explosion of some kind or an explosion, and the, I guess the satanic ghost comes out and possesses him in a very fun Gabriel bernie kind of way yeah in the men's washroom of this
0: restaurant he's very slick in this movie just like slick and suave
1: <laughs> and he comes out with that that disgusting smirk on his face yeah and he um grabs the breast of his dinner companion and basically crams his tongue down her throat as yeah. as her date looks on and then walks out of the restaurant as it explodes like, yeah it was a good entry for satan
0: i agree it's it definitely very strong way to set up that this is the devil over the top and, like, just sin, like, pouring down the screen. It's it's pretty great.
1: i got to ask you, because I know you're not a big fan of this movie. Mm. How do you think Gabriel Byrne as Satan compares to, like, um, Al, Pacino. Al Pacino as the, as the Satan? <laughs> He's quieter. Very, He's very, a lot quieter. They're very similar kind of Satanic characters.
0: They are. I mean, I have to believe that this version of Satan in End of Days was at least somewhat inspired by John Milton in The Devil's Advocate. Because it definitely feels like kind of a playful spin on that.
1: Yeah, there's a bunch of different places where he's having these um, conversations with Schwarzenegger, especially these very Faustian dialogues that um, I I think are just awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I like the, you know, the kind of the slick business suit look. It totally works, especially for an action movie like this.
1: Yeah, so everyone's introduced. We, We find out that it's three days to the new millennium. Christine, the on and those named baby is born yeah uh, to bear the Antichrist yeah and on we go following Arnold Schwarzenegger into uh, a very bizarre helicopter chase. This
0: is insane like I don't even know what to make of Arnold Schwarzenegger's job in this movie. <laughs> he works for like the striker security firm or something who protects in this case the banker that is now the devil he's was assigned to protect I guess the original banker. Um, before he was possessed by, by Gabriel Byrne's devil character. But, I mean, like, this security firm seems incredibly well-funded and have complete free reign of the whole city of New York. Yeah, they can do whatever they want. They can take evidence. Yeah. Uh, the
1: um, police lieutenant or the officer, who, whatever she is, the investigator who investigates every single crime in the city of New York and somehow seems to have a relationship with Schwarzenegger and Kevin Pollock. Uh, detective marge
0: yeah and gives them like all like the evidence and everything all the information they need yeah played by cch pounder but i mean like they have schwarzenegger hanging from a chopper chasing a sniper around swinging around the city like glasses falling guns are like firing everywhere that's fine don't worry it's the striker force and then going ahead and stealing evidence from the scene of the crime yeah it's crazy it's really crazy (laughs) and i almost wonder if it's this It's moments like this that make me wonder if this was written for someone else because it feels like this really odd fit of these over-the-top, absurd Arnold action scenes with this very, like, moody, like, gothic melodrama. It's it's kind of a weird fit. I loved it. I thought, I was like... <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not often that you can see a movie that has these kind of mis- mishmashes. Like, no, that is true. You know, it's hard to, for me to think of another movie that has stuff like this because it is in these situations an action movie it's just that he happens to be chasing a tongueless sniper priest
0: yeah i mean i guess constantine is more consistent in its tone than what this is really
1: yeah and his um in the movie constantine i mean his weapons tend to be
0: uh... related to what he's dealing with as opposed to this, where it's, like, grenade launchers. <laughs> and helicopters. Yeah, yeah. And, and same goes for, like, Hellboy, too.
1: Yes, like, yeah, same with Hellboy.
0: Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, the whole, like, mystery of this, with Arnold tracking down the um, Robin Tunney's character, it feels very jumpy like it does not feel like a very smoothly laid out mystery story like i know it kind of wants to do a little bit of film noir kind of a detective story but it's a gumshoe with satan kind of thing yeah but it's not the world's greatest detective story uh it's not the best I'll, i'll acknowledge that don't you think though like in an alternate version of the script he would have been a pi it seems like that would make more sense than this Like a multi-million dollar security firm.
1: Yeah, there is absolutely no reason for having him as a member of a security force instead of a hard-boiled cop.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like a former cop who's now a PI. He's kind of a disgrace of the department and gets on the trail of this sort of cult story. Like you can totally see that
1: yeah not working basically for the same organization he was working for in true lies.
0: I think we have to have a conversation with Andrew W. Marlowe and ask him who really this movie was intended for, whether he was just being polite when he said it was for Schwarzenegger.
1: yeah, and then we go we go from this bizarre helicopter chase scene uh, into the into the train tunnel, and ultimately this. Uh, and this priest tells him a few things, oh, you don't know what's going on, you know, end of days, blah, blah, blah. How many times did they say end of days in this movie? Um, I didn't count. It's a lot. It's
0: like a drinking game.
1: What do you think was more, them saying end of days in this movie, or them making cold jokes in Batman and Robin?
0: Oh, I think Batman and Robin wins that one. <laughs> it's got it. For sure. Or loses, as the case may be. <laughs>
1: um, so anyways, it's, they discover, oh, this priest is feeding him some goods Turns out he had his tongue cut
0: out. That's weird.
1: Yeah, and then they go and they investigate this uh, priest's house,
0: and turns out he lives in the creepiest house it's like of it, all time. Like, the dude from Seven would look at this house and be like, too creepy for me. Yeah. It's weird. And why is there a cat in the fridge? Well, Why is the guy's tongue in a jar? I don't know. It's like This he, priest, he, I don't think, is a serial killer, so it's a really weird place for him to live. Yeah,
1: they say, well, why would he cut out his tongue so he can't say things to anyone? They don't really explain why he would want to not say something to someone. And why is he locking cats in the fridge? Yeah, and if he's cutting his tongue out, why hang on to it?
0: Why I not don't just know. throw it away? I got a lot of questions about this priest.
1: But anyways, his house sure is creepy, which I think is what they were going
0: for. Yeah, I, I think they succeeded. Like, the art director was having a ball, just yeah, like splashing he, it with like false feces.
1: Yeah, he's just like, oh, this house belongs to a Satan fighting priest, we might as well... Uh, Staple gun some magazine pictures on the wall and then scrape their eyes out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe a leftover set from, like, The Bone Collector. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly.
1: Yeah, and so they discover a few things. And I think what you probably aptly described is not the best constructed detective narrative. Yeah. But it takes them looking for this girl who we now meet, Robin Tunney. Be still my heart, by the way. Robin Tunney, okay. I've always been a big fan of. I think she's gorgeous as I well as I a fantastic actress.
0: What have you seen her in? I've seen her in very few things. I remember she was in that movie, The Craft, which I didn't see. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything else. The Craft, um, Empire Records. She was Never a, saw
1: it. Really? She was a big deal around this time. She was releasing a lot of these kind of hip uh indie (laughs) movies and then she came out with end of taste that was the end of the road (laughs) no she's she's worked a lot since then has she yeah she has okay um and it cuts to her having a uh vision of a albino hobo uh basically screaming in her face
0: and then turning into really bad like glass (laughs) and breaking apart as she
1: screams uh so we get to meet her that way we find out she's having problems This
0: character is the pits. (laughs) Why do you say that? This character is such a nothing. It's the most passive, like, damsel in distress character ever. Whenever anything bad is going to happen to her, it's like she just goes numb and just lays back. (laughs) It's so
1: weird. I will say this. There's not a lot of female agency in this movie that does not pass the, what is it, the Bechamel test? Sure, we'll go with that. (laughs) A Bechdel test. Yeah. Um... (laughs) And uh but you know she's she's a pretty
0: classic damsel in distress. It's definitely feels like kind of the uh, <laughs> the, the waning days for this type of female lead and it, like I have a real question now whether this movie would even exist in this form now because the idea of this woman's like the entire threat of the movie is that the devil is basically going to rape this woman and impregnate her that would not be made now. like I just feel like this movie is it's definitely from a bygone era
1: you don't think so i mean if the devil i don't think so if the devil's gonna do anything i mean the devil's about killing raping maiming torturing all for the fun of it
0: i don't think you would see it in this type of movie you wouldn't see it in a hundred million dollar blockbuster you might see it in like an independent very very dark like gothic um like horror movie but even then i think they would probably set it in the old days or something I have a hard time buying that they would do that in a modern-day setting. Well, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, uh, it's definitely a very gothic, old-timey kind of setup involving her character in The Devil. I mean, it is the, you know, the conflict that's been waging for 2,000 years, so why not? But, um, yeah, like, I, I would have liked a little more of, I don't know, I guess maybe inventiveness or, I don't know, just maybe smarts behind the storytelling here, because... We're kind of getting the devil is <laughs> basically the Terminator. We're basically getting the Terminator movie, a pretty, a pretty smug Terminator. <laughs> it is totally like the Terminator. Oh my god! I'm really like piecing it together now in my head. It's like the unstoppable <laughs> killing machine. Arnold is like kind of like the tortured dude who's kind of like the Reese who has to protect the Sarah Connor. Only Robin Tunney has nothing on Linda Hamilton in the kind of the the tough girl category. No, definitely not. Uh, what I will say is we do
1: get to see Schwarzenegger pick up a music box, which reminds him of his wife and daughter. How many times has that happened? <laughs> yeah. you know, if you're ever in a movie, characters out there, um, don't pick up a music box because it will make you cry. Or at least in Schwarzenegger's case,
0: try to cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've talked on the podcast a lot about how many times Arnold cries on camera I don't know that this one counts. He definitely kind of like it winces to- It and... totally counts. He does it twice at least. He doesn't tear up though.
1: That's because he can't. <laughs> that has more to do with his range as an actor <laughs> and less to do with whether or not he's supposed to be crying. Right. He's totally crying in that scene.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of like the setting of this movie? Like is New York a good location for all this yeah, madness? It was, it was fantastic. <laughs> I don't know that it was employed to the best of its ability, though. I don't know if they actually shot that much in New York, though.
1: (laughs) Well, they did a lot better than what they do in a lot of movies, right? Is where they uh, say, okay, here we are in New York, and they, uh, you know, have some stock footage of the Statue of Liberty, and then cut to a soundstage in Vancouver.
0: Right, yeah, 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 or like footage of the big park there. Central Park. Yeah, Central Park. I was totally blanking in that moment. I was thinking I had Grand Central Station in my head, and then I was like, no, that's the train station. So I can't remember the name of the park. So just say park. But thanks for exposing me there. <laughs> Big park. Big park. Um, we talked enough about that park in um, Hercules Goes Bananas.
1: Yeah, and but I mean, this movie, like, what it does though is it takes. So it's I think it establishes all these elements and all these characters really well, and then it. it doesn't leave any of them hanging it like escalates them mm-hmm. throughout the movie because you know, we then we pretty quickly get back to Robin Tunney and showing that, Oh, she's actually living with her foster mother. Who's the nurse who abducted her from the hospital. Yeah. Um. You know, the, the, the Vatican hit squad or the Vatican Knights that we saw in 1979, they come in pretty quickly. Yeah. What I will say in going more to your, comments about female agency we we get one of the most needless and gratuitous uh topless scenes from robin tunney who basically just comes into a room takes her shirt off and then ends scene it's, it's weird
0: it's kind of weird yeah um definitely but, definitely closing out the 90s
1: yeah and we have gabriel Byrne just kind of ratcheting up how evil he is yeah. making a skater get hit by a bus
0: and it's moments like that, though. Okay, yeah, that's a good one because he's wearing a sh- uh, the 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 skater dude's wearing a shirt that says what does it say? Something like the devil rules. Satan or something. rules. Satan rules. Yeah, and Gabriel Byrne says like nice shirt, and the guy just tells him to f off or whatever. And then Gabriel Byrne has the guy get hit by a bus or whatever, and then he just goes nice shirt. And moments like that, but also a lot of the, like the goofy action, like Arnold getting in like a fist fight with Miriam Margolis over <laughs> the Robin Tunney character. Like it's this crazy stuff. But like the tone of the movie is so downbeat that I feel like it prevents these movies from like really raising the pulse at all. Are you serious? When that's how I felt. I just felt like the energy of the movie always stayed low.
1: When Miriam Margolis pushes Arnold Schwarzenegger, I guess she has like devil strength, I and she it. like pushes a grand piano. Yeah. Uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger behind it, up against the wall, crushing him against the wall. Yeah. And then he gets out of there and throws her through a glass table. Uh, I mean, that's it's
0: phenomenal. It's awesome. I feel like it's a bad combo though, of like the tone of the movie mixing with like Peter Hyams' like weird wobbly action direction, and then the editing. It just kind of does not work for me. I, I, I know what
1: you're saying, and then you also throw in like right before this, we also have Schwarzenegger and Kevin Pollak going to the. Uh, hospital and finding out that the priest from earlier that they're there to question has been uh, crucified to the ceiling with surgical scissors in a very bloody and graphic way. It's
0: very, like, this movie's almost mean-spirited a lot of the time. Like, there's stuff in this that's, like, borderline just disturbing. Well, that's because it's the devil. They're trying to just... It is. They're really trying to just... It's this weird clash though of like you want to have this really really bleak devil stuff straight out of the exorcist really but then like you've got arnold hanging from a cable swinging around under a chopper i I don't know maybe it's just me i i I know what you're saying i completely understand why this works for you like believe me i will back on this podcast and in the future as well like other movies that are complete messes of tone that somehow work for me so believe me i'm not like (laughs) <laughs> browbeating you for like not digging this one you know, or, for, or for digging this one like you
1: think about just um like what did you think about because uh, we're right about that point in the movie where gabriel byrne uh i guess udo Kier is the head priest yeah and he shows up at his house and he's enjoying dinner with his wife and daughter yeah and he walks he's like everything's ready uh, we've prepared everything for you yeah and he just walks in and he's like is this your daughter and is this your wife?
0: Yeah, and then the three-way sex scene between... Where yeah. all the
1: bodies are melding together in kind of a weird T-1000
0: <laughs> CG orgy. It's
1: just... It's, it's so, weird. It's so
0: bizarre. Not only that, it's cued to Lip Biscuit music.
1: Yeah, it actually reminded me a lot of the um, sex scene from The Devil's Advocate, if you remember that word. I
0: don't remember that uh, that movie very well. Like yeah. I remember a couple scenes, but not a lot of it.
1: And then shortly thereafter they really highlight just how bad and how impatient and how strong Gabriel
0: Byrne is when he punches through Udo Kier's head. Loved it. (laughs) No complaints. Stan Winston, you earned your paycheck for that one.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, that's what I like about this movie is despite the inconsistencies of tone, Mm -hmm. it keeps doubling down on these different tonal aspects,
0: I guess. Right, right.
1: Where the action keeps getting more and more big the explosions get bigger the guns get bigger the deaths get more gruesome the devil gets meaner and just the the peril amps up and kind of this all framed in this cheesy gothic detective story that i just think is fantastic
0: just thinking now have we ever on this podcast covered an arnold movie with like big action set pieces in a movie that's very downbeat and very kind of morose maybe sabotage Yeah, that's the only one that really pops into my mind, but I also feel like that one's very tonally consistent, and that it's always grim and bleak. Like, the action is... Although, you know what? There is that chase with... uh, I
1: mean, Terminator is... It's hard to argue that that's a real up up deep,
0: fun family movie. Yeah, especially... Yeah, the first one for sure. No, that's fair. Yeah. I feel like this one just really goes into crazy town in a way those ones don't. I don't know. This this one troubles me.
1: (laughs) Well... We we soon get Arnold Schwarzenegger and Kevin Pollack there. They've now met Robin Tunney and they decide, oh, well, we better, again, uh, The this woman has just been subjected to a mysterious hit squad. Yeah. The police just decide to leave. And these guys are sitting out there, despite the fact that they're working for a security firm and aren't actually <laughs> working here, they're staking out her house. And in what I thought was a really interesting kill you have gabriel byrne uh urinating on the side of the house and having and having the urine seep under the car and he then lights a cigarette and lights it on fire and blows kevin pollock up yeah yeah
0: um i mean did you like that or is that another one where you're like this is too stupid for me well it's like too stupid for what the movie wants me to care about again this is a movie that asks me to really be invested in arnold schwarzenegger being depressed and suicidal over the death of his family and then we cut to like the devil peeing on Kevin Pollock. <laughs> it's just kind of like okay. <laughs> like I I don't dislike the idea of it, but I wonder if they're maybe if they maybe should have rewritten the Arnold character because the movie's energy really comes off that character and he's such a depressed character.
1: Yeah, well, he,
0: he's depressed, but at the same time when CCH
1: Pounder shows herself as actually a satanic cultist. Yeah. In uh, I wouldn't really call it a surprise twist so much as a total abandonment of character. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have any problem pulling his wrist guns out. No, no. And blasting her down uh, in the way he would blast down any other character
0: in any of his other movies. It's kind of like a movie that wants to have its cake and eat it too. Like I think it does. It does. Oh, I, I think it, it's like we want to be like a serious supernatural thriller with a tortured character. But also we want to do all the Arnold stuff. Yeah, it's like a wedding cake for a funeral. It would almost not surprise me if none of these like absurd action moments were in the script. And the studio was like, uh, excuse us, we paid you $100 million. This better have Arnold action in it.
1: Yeah, Arnold's getting $25 million for this picture. This is actually what his payday was on okay, this. Okay, yeah. And so, you know, I, I respect your first cut, Mr. Hyams. But yeah. here's a couple grenade launchers. Yeah, You better go make this happen.
0: Although that I say that, but then um, the writer Andrew Marlowe wrote Air Force One, which was a big action movie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's kind of his territory. He also wrote Hollow Man, the Paul Verhoeven movie, which disappointed me greatly when I saw it. <laughs> so he's definitely not... Is that Kevin Bacon? Uh, yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And El- Elizabeth Shue, yes. Um, But uh, he's definitely not a <laughs> visionary when it comes to, like, moody character pieces he's definitely the kind of the pulpy action kind of guy so maybe that all was there maybe i'm just incorrect but it it feels like that it doesn't feel organic but we also i mean what marlo did do as well is we've also got some pretty good lines and this is why look at the man that created the show castle so he knows how to write a quippy line
1: yeah and not just quippy but also weird you know we've got that that scene um where we're just getting to know uh christine and she's you know, I, I see him in my dreams. I've been seeing him since I was a child. He's been
0: making love to me since I was a child.
1: Yeah, I've been making love to him my whole life. Yeah,
0: I was like, ew. Uh, this movie's icky. This, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of it that's there's icky. There's a lot of icky parts. The mother-daughter stuff was icky. This yeah. is icky as well. And then you put that right up next
1: to the scene with like Rod Steiger explaining probably <laughs> the, the weirdest plot explanation. It's totally needless, but I was like, oh yeah, someone... Someone in a studio boardroom thought of this, and this is why it's in the movie, where um, the number of the beast is not 666, because when you see (laughs) it in a dream, it's actually 999, which means 1999, and at midnight 1999, the devil is going to uh, impregnate the bearer of the antichrist and Schwarzenegger says well is that eastern time
0: (laughs) and i remember ebert like highlighted that line in his review because he's like well is it (laughs) because this movie's absurd (laughs) yeah i love that rod steiger works with all these priests who are all on computers it's that like 1990s hacking phase yeah the, the fact that they're they're like hacking uh something someone speaking in tongues with stigmata on their hands it was great it's the days where you could hack anything you could like hack the bible you could hack anything that's going on (laughs) you just get on a computer and start typing and things happen it reminds me actually a lot of the movie double team where you have all the monks that are like the cyber monks
1: see about this wasn't it about this time maybe a little bit before there was the um johnny depp uh movie was what was it called the ninth gate or the ninth door
0: oh yeah yeah that's the 90s too yeah uh, yeah I'm
1: pretty sure there where he had some uh I think
0: that might have been this same year 99
1: yeah where he had some old religious texts I'm pretty sure they were hacking that as well of course you could hack anything yeah um (laughs) but you know at this point I think we get probably in my mind anyways like the most important moment in the film where we finally get Schwarzenegger and Gabriel Byrne in a room together, talking, where Schwarzenegger's returned to his apartment, and waiting there for him is Satan.
0: Yes. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Satan tempts him very much like the last temptation of Christ, (laughs) with a vision of what his life could be again.
1: Yeah, it was like reading, it was like reading, uh, like, German literature, it's like reading Goethe. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, Because, basically, Gabriel Byrne just starts paraphrasing Faust, and saying, You know, what has he ever done for you? You and I, we could... uh... Rule this town together or something, I don't know. At this point, you could swap out Gabriel Byrne for Al Pacino. (laughs) 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 Hoo-ha.
0: Yeah, and, you know, we get this very kind of cheesy look at what Arnold's, um, you know, wife and daughter were like. And then goons show up. Tony, I believe this is your section.
1: Yes, right? One, One of the things we like to do when Arnie get in here is a little thing called Spots Sven where we try and spot Sven Oli Thorson who's one of Schwarzenegger's most frequent collaborators uh in usually bit parts and stunt roles yeah and here he's fairly prominent he plays one of the home invaders that's right that's right good to see you Sven good to see you but you know and you so Gabriel Byrne says well you know Arnold hey you could have it all back you can have your wife and child back and here's a Christmas tree just for good measure <laughs> That
0: Christmas tree made me laugh so hard, especially when Arnold tackled it.
1: Yeah, everything else, for whatever reason, Arnold can just go right through. He can dive through Home Invaders, but once he hits that Christmas tree, it goes (laughs) down like Christmas in Connecticut.
0: (laughs) I did not even think about that. Oh my god, the tree was an illusion. (laughs) Oh, so incredible. Back to those goons, though. (laughs) Why are they dressed like 1950s cat burglars? <laughs> yeah, they're definitely. they got a, There was
1: a bargain on, you know, buy two, get one free black toques.
0: You just picture as they're walking, it's like the piano going like... Yeah, and Sven only Thorsen does
1: not look like a cat burglar. <laughs> he looks like someone who could punch down a wall.
0: He's a jungle cat burglar. <laughs> yeah.
1: It does have what I think is maybe Schwarzenegger's uh, best moment in the movie, though, where he's... I
0: thought you were going to say greatest, like, acting moment. <laughs> I was like, well, hold on. Now let's dial this one back. Oh, come
1: on. He finally realizes that this guy actually is the devil. Right. And rather than being scared, rather than being afraid, he, he like, puts his finger up in his face. You know, you think you're bad. You think you're tough. Yeah, Like, you're a choir boy compared to me. It's...
0: <laughs> the whole gist of this movie is really stupid. In the sense that, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger is zero match for the devil. <laughs> like, if the devil really wanted to kill him, he could ten times over in this movie. And he just never does. Yeah, he, the devil likes him. He likes his anger. Why doesn't he just pee on him like he did Kevin Pollack? Like... <laughs> He could do anything he wants, and Schwarzenegger would be dead. So, like, why? Why is he alive? Well, because he wants to bring him over to the the dark side. Sure, but then Arnold says no, and then what? Why does he just have him killed then? Because he, Arnold, he could easily do it. Arnold throws him off a building. <laughs> that's the thing. This movie kind of wants to play back and forth of like the devil being all powerful to the devil not being powerful. Well, I
1: think that's kind of like the devil's main characteristic here. He's just like smug and overconfident. Sure. And they really play up on the Miltonian hubris of the devil, right? right? Where he's he thinks he can do no wrong, and he thinks he cannot fall. But lo and behold, listen up, Lucifer! You fall over and over and over again.
0: I did appreciate that he took the uh, body of an investment banker. Even in 1999, they weren't big on bankers.
1: <laughs> that was probably right around the uh, the tech crash. So, oh,
0: okay. So
1: uh, I imagine that. Investment bankers were not looked upon kindly as people lost their retirement savings. Sure, sure. Over (laughs) Pets.com.
0: I remember (laughs) Pets.com. No one else does. Unless you had money in it. Right, and I did not. But um, where do you want to go from here? Because, yeah, he throws the devil out the window. I don't know. Should we just kind of skip to the end? Because... There's some more convoluted nonsense. Yeah, but ultimately so, so blah blah blah. He fights some more Vatican Knights, blah yeah. blah blah. They meet I found more... that all the Vatican Knight stuff did not grab me at all. Like there's a whole scene in an alley where it's like a bunch of them beating him up in the rain and stuff, and I just felt like it was shot so flatly. Like this movie never touches the levels of horror I think it wants to. Like, really? And again, I feel I feel like it doesn't. And again, I
1: I liked it. I don't know why all of these satanic cultists were carrying flashlights. You could always see them in the background. Yeah. Just, you know, and they're by their lights. And no matter wh- whether they were walking or standing still or running, they were always the same distance behind. Right. But I thought it was really cool when Schwarzenegger's character basically got into a brawl
0: with, like, a hundred satanic cultists i mean (laughs) are you big on like satanic cultist type stories like movies and stuff like that uh just my autobiography (laughs) (laughs) but is that something that perks you up when it's kind of like because you've talked about how you're big into like mage exploitation stuff is like that sort of cultist stuff appealing to you in movies
1: it doesn't hurt i find it's usually used in like slasher movies or just OG horror movies, you know what I mean? Right. And those aren't my kind of movies. I get really scared at horror movies. Right. But I do like it in, in these kinds of movies, which is um, action with a horror tinge.
0: I don't know that I've really been drawn to kind of the pulpier versions of it, the ones that are just kind of like, I guess, this. Because, yeah, I said off the top, you know, Rosemary's Baby I really love, and The Exorcist I'm a huge fan of. But, I mean, like, those are kind of like the, you know a-level pedigree stuff i don't know that there's a lot of middle of the road kind of material like this that grabs me like i was i never saw stigmata the movie that came out this year or you know just a lot of those movies I mean, it was very similar in a lot yeah, of probably ways. a lot of those types of movies don't really appeal to me much what about so the maybe oriented or ones about like Hellboy or constantine
1: or, uh or you know
0: i like the two Hellboys. didn't like constantine Yeah, and then... I did not like the new Hellboy. The new Hellboy. The new (laughs) Hellboy. uh, You know, I'll have my worst movies of the year list up fairly soon. You can find that at camvsmith.com. Hellboy definitely made that list. The new (laughs) one. It's terrible. It wasn't great. Holy smokes, what a disaster.
1: Especially compared to the first two. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I really like the first two. Especially the second one.
1: But what we were saying, we're going to skip to the end, so maybe we'll do the fast forwards. uh, Fight some cultists. He goes and he rearms himself at this security firm which, uh, you know, apparently is allowed to have grenade launchers and... uh,
0: It's bizarre. It makes no sense. Yeah, you know... We should actually mention that we skipped over just one moment I want to mention. And that is, I believe, Arnold's second ever crucifixion on screen. What was the first one? Conan the Barbarian. Oh, right. Of course. Where he, he eats a vulture. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Number two.
1: Now, are you sure this is his second? Are you missing one? Because we've done this before where he cries. We've done it before where he sings. Well, it's been a while. Is this while... only the second time it's he's been It's been crucified? a
0: while since I've watched Junior. <laughs> 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 we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> so, yeah, let's get to the end there.
1: Uh, yeah, so, anyways, they rearm. There's a big gun battle at the church, which I
0: thought was really awesome. You thought was really horrible. Yeah, it's just flat. Like, it's not horrible because it's shot competently, it just does not. I just didn't find it that entertaining at all.
1: I thought the scene of like the pews blowing over and the stained glass all all coming down all ended... I
0: could think of was how Sam Raimi would have done that. It would have been amazing. It would have Have you seen Drive Me to Hell? Yeah. Yeah, like you remember the scene in the séance? Yeah. It would have been something like that. It would have been crazy. Maybe, but I thought it looked good here too. Okay. It had
1: a Peter Hyams feel instead of a Sam Raimi. It definitely Raimi's had film. a Peter Hyams
0: feel. I agree. <laughs> we can agree on that.
1: So anyway, and once again they find themselves down in the train tunnels below New York City, which happens yeah. a lot in this movie, probably because it's dark. It
0: happens a lot in a lot of these movies, like action movies.
1: Yeah, I don't know um, how easy it is to just run around on train tracks in New York. I, I got to imagine it's a little bit harder than they make it out here. Probably. But they wind up there, um, and ultimately they end up, uh, the train conductor gets killed, they, yep. they break the train apart, there's a
0: train crash... Arnold shoots the devil with a grenade launcher and basically decimates his human form, which I don't know that that makes sense. Because we've seen the devil survive insane things so far, but for some reason this like rips him in half.
1: Well, he got the really big bullets from the... But
0: does the human body matter at this point or can the devil like do whatever he wants with it? Like, can he just form it out of, like, will, mental will?
1: You're asking the wrong guy, Cam. I agree that they did establish that the devil can heal himself yeah, from Yeah, he's, he's walking wounds. through fire in this movie all the time. But and... apparently a train crash yeah. will destroy his human form. He decides to abandon it anyways as they escape up to this church that has the big stained glass explosion. And then we get Jericho realizing that maybe he should have faith.
0: Sure, and yeah. He,
1: and uh he throws the grenade launcher aside or the um what would you call it? the high caliber rifle or whatever yeah. it is aside. Which I think is probably a bad idea. I think you can probably fight with both faith and a machine gun.
0: Yeah, I would have to imagine there's some action heroes that have in the past.
1: Yeah. And we get to see this we get to see
0: Satan made flesh in the So I got one Con Air. Nicholas Cage fought with Faith and Firearms. <laughs> Very good. There we go. There's there's one to fill in there.
1: And ultimately, Satan, we get to see Arnold. I thought this was really cool, too. Uh, The devil decides to possess a new body, Mm -hmm. Jericho Crane. Yeah. Uh, And we get to see Arnold Schwarzenegger
0: playing Satan. Yeah, which I would have liked a few more, like, glimmers of kind of evil in him. He looked a little blank. (laughs) Not exactly the seductive qualities of Gabriel Byrne.
1: Meanwhile, we get the most bizarre countdown clock in motion picture history <laughs> yeah. of just random shots of Times Square with like three minutes to midnight yeah. uh, underneath the Did bottom of the, the screen. Did you see the
0: part where they had like the big, it's not like a balloon character, but I'll just call it a balloon character because I don't know what it was. But it looked like it was like God? Like a puppet? Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. a puppet of God? Yeah. What a weird thing for the Times Square crowd to be waving around on New Year's. Because there
1: was no other puppet
0: around. No, just there this was one not. thing. Just the one. It was very strange. Yeah, but so... I thought it was really weird, though. Arnold basically grabs Robin Tunney and, like, throws her on a, I don't know, whatever it is, slab. And then she's just kind of, like, laying there. And he's just, like, ripping clothes off. And she's just like, oh, well. <laughs> oh, she's not, oh, well. She says, you can fight it, Jericho. And he does. He fights it. Why is this woman not like clawing at his eyes and running? But could, because she is down to a mere like two or three minutes until the stroke of midnight, when all this plan is going to She end. doesn't
1: know that. Was she wearing
0: a watch? Did you see a watch? She was there when the priests were talking. I guess that's true. You know, she kind of has an idea roughly of what the time is. She gets away from this dude for like three more minutes. This plan is over. Anyways, it's consistent with her character. She's very passive. That is very true. Uh, (laughs) Borderline catatonic. Yeah,
1: but she says, oh, you can fight it. And he he does. With his will and his faith, he fights Satan and throws himself through the air onto a very dangerous and sharp sword to have. Yeah, it seems like a real
0: hazard to have in in your church.
1: In a church that's being held by a by a statue yeah Um, it's a good
0: shot though i like the the image of arnold on that sword it looks cool there you have it yeah
1: um but there you go he dies he impales himself on a sword satan leaves his body in uh, a geyser of fire and he gets to see and robin tunney christine also gets to see his wife and child uh made flesh in front of him as he redeems himself sure through his faith, and through his bravery.
0: Meanwhile, poor Kevin Pollak goes to hell. <laughs> well, that's not established. Uh, it seems like it. Yeah, maybe. It seems like it. But yeah, I guess that that's the end of End of Days. So, you know, it's definitely a wacky movie, as you can tell. <laughs> I, I think it's one that, you know, you said, you know, people hate this movie. You go to Rotten Tomatoes, it's... Pretty low. It's like 11% right now. Something really bad. Is it that low? It's that low. Yeah, and it's like 33 on Metacritic. It's like like
1: right up there with like Babylon AD and
0: other action stinkers. Yikes. But, you know, you go online and you will see articles. There was a couple I saw really around New Year's this year. I guess 20-year celebrations talking about this movie as maybe being underrated. So it definitely appeals to certain tastes. Like it's definitely a movie that while... It was not worth maybe the hundred million dollar investment. It did have a certain crowd it played to. I
1: guess that crowd is me. Hey, uh, I'm I'm in that eleven percent. I I would give this movie a positive
0: review. I think it's it's awesome. How many times have I said nice things about Double Team? <laughs> Too many times. There you go. Like I'm in a separate camp for being <laughs> the one that enjoys Double Team. So you know, <laughs> these little subsecs <laughs> are all over the place in the action landscape. So. I mean, we've come to the end of the movie. Do you have
1: any final thoughts or anything that you want to
0: add or anything we didn't touch on, Cam? I guess the one thing, just a a plot point I want to just bring up that I'm still not sure 100% makes sense. Was it the priest or something that had on his body it said, like, Christ in New York or Christ in York? And then they somehow extrapolate Christine York from that? I'm not sure that makes any sense. The letters, there's missing letters if you come up with the like the transition between that to Christine York.
1: There's only one missing letter.
0: Yeah, but what about that one letter? Does it not matter? It probably got lost in translation somewhere.
1: It was right up there with, you know, 1999 is actually 666. It was, yeah. It was one of those kind of silly things that they threw in there, but they didn't spend a lot of
0: time on it. They didn't dwell on it. I agree with you. It's pretty silly. It's very absurd. But I guess this isn't a movie that really supports nitpicking. It's kind of like you go on the journey or you don't.
1: Yeah, and I was on for the journey. I, sure. I, I had a first class ticket on this movie. So what are your
0: final thoughts on this one?
1: Uh, this movie is, uh, for me, a definite recommend. Uh, it's it's so much fun. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's awesome. It's fantastic. Uh, I wasn't bored at any point in the movie. And I recognize that it might not be for everyone. But if you just happen to be in that category of people who like cheesy gothic detective action vehicles starring arnold schwarzenegger then this is the movie for you (laughs) and i
0: just happen to be in that category sure yeah like for me this is a movie that it just i was hoping it would work for me the second time around because you know 20 years later right but and and some have some of the movies we revisited yeah suddenly popped for me the second time i've been like oh this is actually more fun than i remembered This one, it just did not work for me. I just kind of find it too dour, too kind of miserable to to watch. But at the same time, I would recommend people watch it to decide for themselves because it is weird. It offers things no other Arnold movie does. And so, like, if it hits for you, you might find something really fun to, you know, rewatch and enjoy. Me, I'm not in that camp. And I suspect that there's others who are with me on that one as well. (laughs) You're probably right. Yeah. (laughs)
1: but this is one in a lot of these cases cam we we often agree Mm -hmm. uh, on the movie or at least we're pretty close We might you know have a couple differences this is one where i think we're totally yeah this is like a full siskel and ebert like one thumb up one thumb down yeah so we don't normally do this but if you are listening out there uh shoot us an email or write us a note and let us know what you think am i an idiot do I have no taste in film or or is Cam the big idiot here? <laughs>
0: They're like, both of you.
1: Yeah, both of you are idiots. I've remained without opinion on the movie. Yeah, send us a note at uh, arniegenpod at gmail.com or maybe leave a comment on your streaming service or download service.
0: Okay, so I think that wraps us up for End of Days. Tony, what do we do next time?
1: One of the things we've done a couple times here on Arnie Geddon is we've done episodes on some of Schwarzenegger's more frequent collaborators. So we did Andy Vanya out of Carolco Pictures. We did James Cameron. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we're going to do another one of these.
0: Fun. Who is it?
1: Uh, Sven Ole Thorsen, who is... Never heard of him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people haven't heard of him. Uh, We've obviously done our Spot Sven bit on this podcast For close to 50 episodes now. Yeah. And so we figured it was probably a good opportunity to do an episode on Sven, on his collaborations with Schwarzenegger, on his roles in Schwarzenegger films, and also on kind of his life and his role in cinema and TV generally.
0: Because he's a pretty interesting guy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing some research on this one. He's not very well known at all. No. In terms of, like, if you were to ask the average
1: person on the street, like, what's your favorite Sven-Ole Thorsen film? People will look at you like you were insane.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, just blank stares all around.
1: Yeah, but he's a very well-known guy, I think, in Hollywood. hmm And obviously has, he has more collaborations with Arnold Schwarzenegger than anyone else. So it would be a shame in our collaborators episode if we didn't do one on him.
0: Looking forward to it. Okay, you can of course, as Tony mentioned earlier, reach us at arniegenpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at arnigenpod. You can also leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts. Help raise us up the ranks of these yeah. various listings. Five would be nice, but frankly we'll take a four. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're tired of being 999. We want to be 666. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Cam v as in Vatican Party Smith. You can find me, Tony G,
1: that's Tony, like the name, G, like the letter, at ArnieGeddon.com. You're also free to download us direct from the source at www.ArnieGeddon.com.
0: Okay, we'll be back with frequent collaborator, Sven Holy Thorson.